The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Where the dawn of the east meets the twilight of the west and the cool of the north touches the calm of the south and the transcendent power of God touches earth in the humility of love. Here and now where the head of the Charles reaches out to the heart of the country, we gather for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily this day are offered for our congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us come Sunday. On this baccalaureate and commencement Sunday, it is our personal honor and privilege to welcome to the leadership of this service of worship Dr. Robert A. Brown, the president of Boston University, Dr. Jean Morrison, the provost and chief academic officer of Boston University, our fellow clergy, choristers, musicians, and others, and especially the director of the Peace Corps, our baccalaureate speaker 2016, Ms. Carrie Hessler Radelat. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
Let us pray. Lord, pour out upon us your radiant light, that through us others may see your glorious truth. Pour out upon us your holy unction, that through us others may receive your healing and peace. Pour out upon us the purifying fire of your spirit, that through us others might know the radiance of your love. With open minds, hearts, souls, and hands, we cry out, Come, Lord, come and set the world ablaze with your divine love. Come and renew the face of the earth. Amen. A lesson from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. The word of the Lord.
Please join me in reading responsively verses from Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. A lesson from Paul epistle, Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 to 9 through 13. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. It is our privilege and pleasure and honor this morning to welcome to our pulpit our baccalaureate speaker. This morning, Ms. Carrie Hessler Radelat. Welcome. The Peace Corps runs in her family. Carrie Hessler Radelat, the 19th director of the Peace Corps, comes from a four generation Peace Corps family. Prior to being being sworn in on June 25, 2014, 
She served as the agency's acting director and deputy director from 2010 to 2014. While at the Peace Court, she has led historic reforms to modernize and strengthen the agency. She spearheaded sweeping efforts to revitalize volunteer recruitment, application, and selection processes, resulting in record-breaking application numbers in 2015. She has championed the health and safety of volunteers, leading initiatives to dramatically improve their support and reduce their risks. Ms. Hessler-Radelet has also been instrumental in forging innovative uh, strategic partnerships, such as Let Girls Learn, a collaboration with First Lady Michelle Obama to expand access to education for adolescent girls around the world, and the Global Health Service Partnership, which sends physicians and nurses to teach in developing countries. Inspired by her grandmother, herself a former Peace Corps volunteer, Ms. hessler Radelet began her career in international development as a Peace Corps volunteer in Western Samoa from 1981 to 1983, teaching secondary school with her husband, Steve Radelet. While there, she also helped develop a public awareness campaign on disaster preparedness. It marked the beginning of a remarkable public health career in which she focused on HIV AIDS and maternal and child health. Before her return to the Peace Corps in 2010, she served as Vice President and Director for the Washington, D.C. Office of John Snow Incorporated, a global public health organization overseeing programs in more than 85 countries. She is also actively involved in the U.S. President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief and served as a primary author of its first strategic plan. Ms. hessler Radelet earned a B.A. in Political Science from Boston University's College of Arts and Sciences in 1979, and she holds a Master of Science in Health Policy and Management from the Harvard School of Public Health. She and her husband have two grown children. Join me in offering her a warm Marsh Chapel welcome. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Reverend Dr. Hill, for that kind introduction and for inviting me here today. President Brown, Dr. Morrison, distinguished faculty and staff, parishioners, parents and family members, and most importantly, class of 2016. Thank you so very much for having me here on this special day. What an incredible privilege and honor it is to stand at the pulpit where Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., preached during his time as a BU student in the 1950s. But even more humbling than the chance to walk in the footsteps of giants, to tread on this hallowed ground, is the chance to speak to you today. Because like you, Boston University changed my life. I came to BU as a transfer student in the late 1970s. I grew up in northern Wisconsin in a small, middle-class town where just about everyone looked like me and my family. And I loved my hometown, I really did. But I came to BU in part because I knew that there was a great big world out there and I had a lot to learn. And what I found here at BU was one of the most diverse, and globally connected communities that I could have ever imagined. It was a place that not only encouraged me, but challenged me to step out of my comfort zone and to grow intellectually and spiritually. At BU, I took classes on comparative politics, religion, international relations, Chinese language, and African studies. I joined a Bible study here at Marsh Chapel. I attended lectures by the great Elie Wiesel, who reminded us that the opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. And it was because of the influences of my professors, like Elie Wiesel and others, and the things that I learned here in Marsh Chapel, that I began to see that my intellectual and spiritual development 
is tied up with my personal development, that I needed to apply what I was learning in the classroom to making a difference for others. The opportunity came in the form of a notice on a bulletin board right here in the basement of Marsh Chapel, seeking a youth leader for a group of young people from neighboring Charlestown who were in trouble with the law. As it does now, BU actively encouraged its students to get involved in the community. I was new to BU, and I was trying to find my place, so I joined that effort. Charlestown was a very, very rough part of town in those days. I went every week for three years to work with those kids, many of whom had grown up in the projects in single-parent homes. Many had parents who were unemployed and very down on their luck. Most of the kids were on probation, and many had already dropped out of school. But they were good kids where it mattered most. One girl in particular was special to me, Cheryl. She was raised by a single mother who was an alcoholic. She was the kind of kid with a tough shell and a heart of gold. I had dreams for all of the kids in my youth group, but my, in my heart of hearts, it was to Cheryl that I granted my highest hopes. We stayed in touch long after I graduated and left Boston. And the truth is, she continued to have a rough life. She married young, had children young, divorced young, and never earned the college degree that she had dreamed of. Hers was not a Cinderella story. But what I know about Cheryl is that she did find joy in the family she raised. She became a good mother. She held a steady job. She provided for her family. She did not succumb to substance abuse. She is a grandmother now and a good one. I didn't know that yet on the day that I graduated. On that morning, when I walked into Marsh Chapel with my parents and sat down where you are sitting now, Cheryl was by my side. Because BU encouraged me to make Cheryl as much a part of my college experience as my classes. It was that combination of rigorous academic work and community service that set me on the trajectory of my career. Now you've come to BU from all across the country and indeed all over the world. What you have in common today is that you'll be given, as a result of the diploma that you'll receive today, the chance to make meaningful change in the world. Which brings me to what I want to talk to you about today, graduates. That uncertain, unpredictable, terrifying, and thrilling place we call the future. And that beautiful, scary world that you'll inherit. You will soon find as you begin your professional careers, if you haven't already, that it is very easy to be cynical about the world in which we live. After all, glance at the headlines and you'll see the devil, de deadly civil war in Syria, a refugee crisis in Europe, gun violence in the U.S., a divisive election season, stories of economic hardship, and people at the end of their rope. But the truth is, never before in the history of the world have we witnessed progress of the magnitude that has been demonstrated in the last 25 years in addressing poverty, improving health, increasing incomes, and reducing conflict. If you are surprised by that statement, you are not alone. The vast majority of Americans believe that our world is in a far worse place now than it was only a decade or two ago. But the facts do not bear that out. In fact, I believe that you are beginning your professional careers at one of the most promising, interesting, and important times in human history. For example, in the decades since the end of the Cold War, nearly one billion people have been lifted out of extreme poverty. One billion. That progress isn't just remarkable, it is absolutely unprecedented. In fact, we have made more progress in reducing extreme poverty around the world in the last 20 years than in the previous 500 years combined. That's a fact, but unfortunately not the kind of news that appears in our papers. When I joined Peace Corps as a volunteer 35 years ago, 
Nearly 70 out of every 1,000 children died of malnutrition and related diseases. That number has been cut in half. The good news continues. The number of college graduates globally is four times higher now than it was in the 1970s for men and seven times higher for women. And even though reports of violent conflict dominate the news, the world has also become a quantifiably more peaceful place, whether measured by the number of wars or the scale of conflict, or most importantly, the number of lives lost to acts of violence. Now that is not to diminish, diminish the fact that violence is all too real in our world today, or deny the importance of growing in income inequity in our own country. But I would urge you to take a fresh look at the incredible progress in humankind over, in almost every measure of development over the past few decades and embrace the cause of humanity with optimism and enthusiasm. Because in this increasingly interconnected world in which we live, we are going to have to rely on each other more, not less. That means it will be essential to increase understanding and cooperation between people of different cultures, different nations, different beliefs, different economic classes, and different races, even when it is difficult to do so. In the face of all the bad news rhetoric we hear every single day, we have a choice to give in to cynicism, anger, and fear, or alternatively, to seek opportunities to find the best in ourselves and others. Which brings me to my next topic, what you're going to do with this brave new world that you're inheriting. As we heard in our Bible verse today from Romans, God calls us to live a, love, a life of love in action. There are many paths to choose and countless ways to make a difference in this world. So what I have to offer today are three challenges for you to consider as you plot the course of your life. Number one, not surprisingly, I challenge you to choose optimism. Winston Churchill said, a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. An optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. If we are to address the world's greatest challenges, we need to see the opportunities. Later today, BU graduate Travis Roy will receive an honorary degree in recognition of his lifetime of courage and activism. In October 1995, 11 seconds into his first ever shift for the BU men's hockey team, he slid headfirst into the boards. The collision left him a quadriplegic at age 20. After two months of intensive care, Travis began rehabilitating his body and his life. In 1997, he established the Travis Roy Foundation, dedicated to spinal cord research and one-on-one -on -one assistance for those with spinal cord injuries. The foundation has raised over $6 million to modify vans and purchase wheelchairs, computers, ramps, and other equipment for para and quadriplegics, giving hope and purpose to thousands of people. When faced with his devastating accident, Travis could have chosen anger and bitterness and fear. Instead, he chose purpose and activism and optimism. By choosing optimism over despair, Travis, further, Travis turned his personal tragedy into an opportunity to serve others. Like Travis, I urge you to choose the kind of defiant optimism that sees the world as it is, with all its pain and all its perils, but also all of its progress and all of its potential, and believe in what it can become. Challenge number two, I challenge you to make relationships your priority. Whether we're talking about family or diplomacy or business, the most important moments in life are defined by relationships. A wise woman once told me, if you're in an argument with someone, walk a mile in their shoes. Because then, if you still can't agree, you're a mile away and you've got their shoes. <laughs> the truth is, being able to walk in someone else's shoes, to see the world through their eyes, and to empathize with their hopes and fears, these are indispensable skills for shaping progress in today's interconnected world. I'd like to tell you a story that I heard only a few weeks ago 
from former U.S. Ambassador to Afghanistan, Carl Eikenberry, who had previously served for his whole career as a Lieutenant General in the U.S. Army. He told me that when he was an ambassador, there was a terrible, bloody battle in Helmand province that had cost many lives. But in the end, the U.S. Afghani forces were victorious, and they were able to reclaim a key territory from the Taliban. Ambassador Eikenberry decided to visit this reclaimed district to establish relationships with the local chieftains. When he arrived, he was invited to meet with some 20 local leaders in their very colorful and distinctive turbans and traditional attire. One of the local elders approached him and animatedly spoke to him in Pashtun. Ambassador Eikenberry wondered what the elder was saying. It was clear that he was very, very excited about something. The translator told him that the elder was asking him about a person named Rick. Ambassador Eikenberry looked around, confused. Is there someone here on my team named Rick? He inquired. The translator asked for clarification. Rick, Rick, Peace Corps, Peace Corps, the elder replied. He lived here 40 years ago. He was my teacher, and he taught me English. He lived among us for two years, and he was like a brother to me. When I heard the Americans were coming, I was hoping that you may be able to give me news of Rick. The ambassador continued, that man was devastated when I told him that I did not know Rick. On his return flight to Kabul, later that evening, the ambassador was unable to sleep, as is his tradition, he tells me. <laughs> Upon reflection, he realized that he had been overwhelmed by the depth of emotion demonstrated by this Afghani elder for an American that he had not seen in 40 years. It was then he told me that I began to understand the transformational power of the Peace Corps. Peace Corps volunteers are the face of our country in the most remote corners of our globe. The relationship of friendship and trust between that one American, Rick, and this village elder clearly transcended time and geography and war and politics. Relationships mattered. They are the only thing that lasts. Make them your priority. Martin Luther King said, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. So my third challenge to you is to make service your mindset. Let me illustrate this with the story of Peter Ter, who was born in South Sudan. At age three or four, he isn't sure how old he was, his entire family was murdered by Arab militants. After years of wandering with a band of boys in South Sudan, Ethiopia, and Kenya, Peter finally found his way to a UN refugee camp where he attended school for the first time, learning to read by tracing letters in the sand. He estimated that he was about 10 years old at the time. He was incredibly bright and, an, and a very motivated student. And with the help of the United Nations, Peter eventually made his way to the United States, where he earned a full scholarship to university. After graduating with honors, he joined the Peace Corps in order to serve the country that had given him so much. When Peter applied to the Peace Corps, he requested only one thing. He requested to go to a Muslim country because he did not want to live his life hating the people who shared a faith with those who had killed his family. The only way he knew to seek reconciliation and to learn to love Muslims was to live among them in service. Those are Peter's words. Peter received a Peace Corps assignment to teach English in remote Azerbaijan, a Muslim-majority country where many people were very suspicious of Americans and most had never before seen a person of color. An Azeri family in Peter's small village opened up their home to him and welcomed him as a son. 
Peter soon began to teach at a local high school, developing close relationships with his students and his fellow teachers. And that was the beginning of Peter's long retreat from anger and fear and hatred that had gripped him ever since his family was taken from him so many years ago. Through service, he learned to love the Azari people with whom he lived and worked every day. And they learned to love him. In Peter's words, what surprised me the most was how human love and connection became stronger than my own tragic family history, my religion, my nationality, or the color of my skin. Peter has shared his story with thousands of people around the world and has done more to foster love and respect for those whose cultures are different than anyone that I know personally. His is a remarkable story of love over fear, reconciliation over retribution, service over revenge. All Peter needed was a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. Service is not an activity. It is a mindset. Now, you don't have to go halfway around the world to make a difference in someone's life any more than you have to be standing on campus to feel a bond with Boston University. Whatever field you choose, whatever line of work, whatever your circumstances, you can find ways to help others. And when you define your life with a service mindset, miracles happen. If you let the call to service inhabit your imagination, it will guide you for the rest of your lives. And the world will be a better place because you made that choice. Boston University is a place where service as a global citizen is part of your DNA, where compassion for one another and caring for the world we share are part of what it means to be a Boston University graduate. The late BU professor Howard Zinn told us, we don't have to wait for some grand utopian future. To live now as we think human be beings should live is itself a marvelous victory. We have invited one of your own, class of 2016 graduates, to pursue her own marvelous victory as a Peace Corps volunteer. Megan Shoemaker has earned a Master's in Political Science and a Bachelor of Arts in Economics and Political Science. She told us that her career goal is the Foreign Service, and the combination of a BU degree and Peace Corps service will give her a superb foundation. She, like all of you, is looking forward to the boundless opportunities and freedom that come with graduation. As a freshman at BU, if someone would have told me that in four years I'd be moving to Africa to teach math in French, I would have laughed, she joked. But that's the beauty of life. The opportunities are there. You just have to have the courage and confidence in yourself to take them. As you commence the next chapters of your life, my dearest hope for you is an attitude of optimism, a commitment to relationships, and a mindset of service. It will indeed lead to a marvelous victory and a life of love and action. Congratulations, class of 2016.
Please be seated. Let us pray. Let us pray for learning. We give thanks for what we have learned, for knowledge, for wisdom, for insight, for understanding. We give thanks for those who have learned us, for faculty, for friends, for family, for mentors and guides. We ask for discernment, to employ knowledge with compassion, to embody wisdom in hospitality, to express insight with grace, to engage understanding for the common good and our common wealth. We invite patience that our learning might bear fruit, that our wisdom might mature, that our great passion might intersect with the world's great need. Let us pray for virtue. We give thanks for the goodness of the world, for fresh air to breathe, for clean water to drink, for sunlight dappled pathways, for moonlight piercing clouds. We give thanks for the models in whose steps we walk. Anna Howard Shaw, Edgar J. Helms, Elie Wiesel, Martin Luther King, Jr. We ask for character, fortitude, compassion, integrity, citizenship. We invite courage to stand on the side of the good, the true, and the beautiful, to affirm the inherent dignity and worth of every person, to reject the temptation to cut ourselves off from one another, to resist the degradation of the goodness of the world. Let us pray for piety. We give thanks for tradition, for heritage, for ancestry, for community. We give thanks for places we have found belonging, for home, for dorm, for athletic field, for classroom. We ask for humility, that we might endure humiliation, that we might weather hypocrisy, that we might outlast injustice, that we might withstand what we cannot understand. We invite devotion to our own best past, to the promise and prospect of common ground, to the call of the moral arc of the universe, to the presence, majesty, and glory we cannot name. Amen.
Beloveds, as you go out from this place of learning and growth, remember, your knowledge, your gifts, and your loving heart are exactly what the world needs. Use them. Remember to be grateful, to be kind, and to take time to care for yourself. Remember that the connections you have made here ensure that you are never really alone. Go forth in love and blessing. Congratulations and amen.